Welcome to our weekly podcast from St Michael's Lillishaw and St John's Muxton. My name is Matthew and I'm the vicar and it's my pleasure to welcome you and to lead you through this next half an hour of readings, a talk and some prayers. So today our theme is looking at relationships, family relationships and intergenerational relationships. And so our readings will be talking a little bit about this and then we'll have some time to think about what God's will is for our family relationships. But as we begin, here's a prayer for this week. God of constant mercy, who sent your Son to save us, remind us of your goodness, increase your grace within us, that our thankfulness may grow through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As we prepare to hear God's word to us, let's take some time to look back over the past week and to remember that we are fallible and human and that we get things wrong. I'm going to read some words which are words of repentance and confession. And when you hear the words, Lord, be merciful, please would you respond, forgive us our sin. Lord God, our maker and our redeemer, this is your world and we are your people. Come among us and save us. We have willfully misused your gifts of creation. Lord, be merciful. Forgive us our sin. We have seen the ill treatment of others and have not gone to their aid. Lord, be merciful. Forgive us our sin. We have condoned evil and dishonesty and failed to strive for justice. Lord, be merciful. Forgive us our sin. We have heard the good news of Christ but have failed to share it with others. Lord, be merciful. Forgive us our sin. We have not loved you with all our heart, nor our neighbours as ourselves. Lord, be merciful. Forgive us our sin. And if we truly are sorry before God, we can be sure that he will forgive us. So hear these words of forgiveness spoken over us. Almighty God, who in Jesus Christ has given us a kingdom that cannot be destroyed, forgive us our sins, open our eyes to God's truth, strengthen us to do God's will, and give us the joy of his kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So today I'm going to speak on the subject of relationships within families, and particularly intergenerational relationships, and help us to think about what God wants for these. I'm not going to provide an exhaustive coverage of this subject, but simply a few pointers that might help us to think about what God's will might be for us in these situations, and the relationships that we have. But one of the things that is becoming clear in our society today is that age gap friendships are increasingly more important. As people live longer and in their old age become dependent on others who are more able, the need to make and sustain friendships across ages and generations has increased. Young people are being challenged not to see old people as boring and fussy, and older people are being challenged not to see young people as irresponsible and frivolous. The place where we learn to make these intergenerational relationships is in our families, whatever structure they are. Relationships and how to foster them are at the heart of the Bible. God is many things. He is holy, he is just, loving and merciful. He is also relational. In God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are in perfect relationship with each other. They know one another, they live in obedience to one another and in harmony, and they are working together for the mutual benefit of one another and us. In John's Gospel, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. That's John chapter 10, verse 30. 
and Jesus' life models a deep and loving relationship with his heavenly Father. The power in which Jesus acts is that of the Holy Spirit given by our Father in heaven. See Luke chapter 11 verse 13. The gospel which Jesus came to bring is an invitation to us into the life of God. We too can become sons and daughters of God, sisters and brothers of Christ through faith in Jesus. We read this in Romans 8 and in Galatians 3. At the heart of our faith is a family relationship. Jesus becomes our brother and God becomes our father, with the Holy Spirit tying the unbreakable cords of family love between us. That's why God created us to live in families. In families we have, from the day we are born, the opportunity to learn close relationships across generations. Relationships of love, mutual support and building up. These relationships can point towards the way that God invites us to be part of his family. When families are joined by marriage, there is the possibility to develop these close relationships with those who are not blood relatives. And indeed throughout history, whether among Christians or among those who don't believe, marriage has been seen as a way of joining families and sealing political and national alliances. And we'll read about a particular instance in a moment. Sadly, our family relationships can get distorted and break up through our selfishness and our failure or inability to love. Loving people who are close to us, although rewarding, is hard work. We are seen at close quarters, warts and all. And when our selfishness and brokenness are called out in our families, we can be humiliated, it can be hard to bear and we can react badly. We also can argue over money, possessions and out of jealousy. When our natural selfishness is not dealt with, it can cause huge problems in family relationships later on. You might think the Bible passage we're about to hear is a bit obscure, not well known. Can I just encourage you to think about a Bible reading scheme that takes you into the parts of the Bible you wouldn't normally visit. There are gems in there which you may have to work to find. Let's listen to a story of family where things went awry. First, let me give you an introduction to the family. It's the time of the kings in Israel and Judah. It's about 850 to 835 years before Jesus. They are two separate kingdoms. Ahab is king of Israel and married to Jezebel, who was not an Israelite, and drew Ahab into Baal worship. Joram, their son, became king on Ahab's death. And to seal a treaty between the two kingdoms of Israel and Judah, Joram's sister, Ataliah, married Jehoram, who was king of Judah. Jehoram had killed his six brothers so he could become king. Ataliah and Jehoram had a son, Ahaziah, who became king of Judah after Jehoram had died. However, both Joram, the king of Israel, and Ahaziah, the king of Judah, were killed when Jehu, who had been appointed king of Israel by Elijah to destroy the house of Ahab, killed them both in battle. Dave's going to read what happened, and my compliments to Dave on his attempts at all these names as well. The first reading is taken from 2 Chronicles, chapter 22, reading from verse 10 through to chapter 23, verse 3. When Athaliah 
the mother of Hahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the old royal family of the house of Judah. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Joash, son of Haziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered, and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Because Jehosheba, the daughter of the king of Jehoram, the wife of the priest Jehodia, was Hazar's sister, she hid the children from Athaliah so that she could not kill him. He remained hidden with them at the temple of God for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. In the seventh year, Jehoda showed his strength and made a covenant with the commanders of units of a hundred. Azariah's son, Jeroham, Ishmael, son of Jehohanan, Azariah, son of Obed, Mazariah, son of Adiah, and Elishphat, son of Zikri, they went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites and the heads of Israelite families from all the towns. When they came to Jerusalem, the old assembly made a covenant with the king at the temple of God. Jehoshada said to them, The king's son shall reign as the Lord promised, concerning the descendants of David. Chapter 23 verses 11 to 17. Jehoiada and his sons brought out the king's son and put a crown on him and presented him with a copy of the covenant and proclaimed him king. They anointed him and shouted, Long live the king! When Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and cheering the king, she went to them at the temple of the Lord. She looked, and there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance. The officers and the trumpeters were beside the king, and all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. The musicians with their instruments were leading the praises. Then Athaliah tore her robes and shouted, Treason! Treason! Jehodiah the priest sent out the commanders of units of a hundred who were in charge of the troops and said to them bring her out between the ranks and put and put to the sword anyone who follows her for the priest had said do not put her to death at the temple of the lord so they seized her as she reached the entrance of the horse gate on the palace grounds and there they put her to death. Jehodiah made a covenant that he, the people and the king, would be the Lord's people. All the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They smashed the altars and idols, killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altar. This is the word of the Lord. It's clear that there were complex family relationships at work here. 
Atali had been brought up in the house of Ahab and Jezebel, and so had no respect for the Lord. Possibly under the influence of Atali, Jehoram, her husband, had turned his back on his father's faithfulness to God, and had seized power by purging his family. Atali did the same when she gained power after Ahaziah's death. The family unit was being used to secure the relationship between the two kingdoms of Israel and Judah. However, look at how it was done and whose interests were being served. It was clearly not to serve the purposes of God, nor the will of the people, but simply to gain power and influence, and selfishly to build a dynasty from Ahab and Jezebel in the face of the destruction prophesied by Elijah. How had this family life so deteriorated that a grandmother would threaten the life of her baby grandchild? Atali's mind had truly been twisted by the worship of false gods. Richard Baxter, the English church leader and poet, said the following, It is an evident truth that most of the mischiefs that now infest or seize upon mankind throughout the earth consist in or are caused by the disorders and ill-governedness of families. I'm sure many of the inhabitants of Israel and Judah in 840 BC would have agreed with him. Now I know that there are many of us who have torturous and difficult family histories, perhaps not as bad as this one. But there may be those in our families with whom we do not speak or with whom our relationship is poor. There may be things in the past in our family which blight the present. What should we do? Should we just leave things be? Well, and this may take great sensitivity and, and the timing must be judged well, but now may be the time to do something about it. And the first thing to do, if you haven't done so already, is to begin praying for reconciliation or restoration of relationships. Have you begun doing that earnestly and regularly? In the situation from the reading, it was Jehoiada, the priest, who pointed the people again to God's promises and took charge in the process of restoring the throne to its rightful heir, Joash. You may have your own ideas about how reconciliation in your family has to happen. You may have your own ideas about restoring things to their rightful way. But be open to God showing you a different way or it coming about in a different manner. Please do also take this Old Testament story with a health warning. I am not, I repeat, not advocating the drastic action of the like that Jehoiada advised for Atalia under any circumstances. However, it may involve visiting people and dealing with some hard issues. Perhaps God may even ask us to go in humility and apologise for something we've said or done, even if at the moment we feel that we are the wronged party. This is certainly something for careful prayer and reflection, and perhaps even an occasion for seeking out advice before taking any action. But do ask God to show you the way forward. Paul's letter to the Ephesians gives some simple but powerful advice to help keep good relationships across the generations in families. Unfortunately for Dave, who did so well with those names, I almost wanted to ask you to give him a round of applause. It's a shorter and more straightforward reading, so let's hear it. The second reading is from Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, 
which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. It's really hard to be obedient when we think we know ourselves better than our parents do. And what teenager doesn't think that? Yet here, Paul encourages children to bow to the experience, wisdom and love of their parents. On the other hand, what parent hasn't been too directive, too full of advice and correction for their children? Children who first and foremost want and need to know that they are loved as they are by their parents, not to be always told where they're going wrong or where they need to improve. Paul encourages parents not to exasperate children. And this simple pattern could be set for other family relationships too. Promoting peace, love and understanding rather than conflict, selfishness and narrow-mindedness. John Wesley wrote, God is the first object of our love. Its next office is to bear the defects of others. And we should begin the practice of this amid our own household. Jesus bore the scars of maintaining a relationship between God and humanity on the cross. His relationship with his father was stretched to breaking point, but it remained firm. Loving faithfully is always costly, and yet it brings hope because it speaks of God's eternal, unending covenant love for us. If we can learn to love those among whom God has first set us, we will find that the beauty of character which God so desires to develop in us will be evident for all to see. What if we have no blood family living? then God has given us one, his church. It really heartens me to see the way in which people in our churches do care about one another. Of course there's always room for more of this, especially across the generations. It seems that our society is slowly teaching each generation to be a bit more suspicious of other generations. But as a place where good, appropriate and caring intergenerational relationships can be made and thrive, Churches can stand out as beacons against this trend. Let me conclude by suggesting that God has not designed families to be self-serving, but to be places of stable relationships from which we can reach out to others and demonstrate how God has reached out to us. It is so easy to become inward-looking in families, to want the best for our own parents, children or grandchildren, and not to worry too much about those of other pe people. You've heard me say this before, but when my children were born, I was filled with an overwhelming sense that I would love them, whatever. This gave me an insight into how God loves me. And the logical conclusion of that is that if God loves me this way, then he must love every other human being in the same way. It is not always possible for us, with our limitations and brokenness, to love everyone with the same intensity. But the overwhelming love which we can feel for our family members can be a springboard for making that love real in our relationships with them 
and also in our relationships with other people that God places in our paths. In our prayer time, I'm going to use some words that may be familiar to some of you. There'll be some bidding prayers and then silence in between for you to add your own prayers. And when I say, Lord, in your mercy, feel free to respond. Hear our prayer. In the power of the Spirit and in union with Christ, let us pray to the Father. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you promised through your Son, Jesus Christ, to hear us when we pray in faith. Strengthen Michael and Sarah, our bishops, and all your church in the service of Christ, that those who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Bless and guide Elizabeth our Queen and all her ministers. Give wisdom to all in authority and direct direct this and every nation in the ways of justice and of peace, that we may honour one another and seek the common good. Lord, in your mercy, Hear our prayer. Give grace to us, our families and friends, and to all our neighbours, that we may serve Christ in one another and love as he loves us. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind or spirit. And in a moment of quiet, we name those known to us before God. Give them courage and hope in their troubles and bring them the joy of your salvation. Lord, in your mercy... Hear our prayer. Hear us as we remember those who have died in the faith of Christ. According to your promises, grant us with them a share in your eternal kingdom. And so rejoicing in the fellowship of all your saints, we commend ourselves and the whole creation to your unfailing love. And let's join in the words of the family prayer which Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours 
now and forever. Amen. Once again, I'd like to thank all of you who've given so generously during lockdown, even when we've not been able to meet in church. And this is a prayer which offers our gifts to God. Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the splendour and the majesty. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours. We give you these gifts as tokens of our love and service of you. Please take them, multiply them and use them for your glory in this place. Amen. As you know, we've been holding short services of morning prayer in church at St Michael's on Sundays at 9.30. And now that we're used to how things operate, I propose next week, that's on the 6th of September, to hold a short service of Holy Communion. So that will be the 6th of September. Once again, can I remind you that if you wish to attend, please will you let Francis Taylor know by 3pm on Friday so that we can make sure that we have space for you. So let's conclude with a word of blessing. God, the Holy Trinity, make us strong in faith and love, defend us on every side and guide us in truth and peace. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us and with those we love now and always. Amen.